Hi, everyone, and welcome to Signature West Podcast. I'm your host, Sam West from Palm Springs, California. My guest today is Michael Glover, and he was one of the first generation, if you will, to test positive for HIV in the early 80s. I have met Michael a couple of years prior, and he's here today with us to share what transpired since now it's 2020. Hi, Michael. Hello, how are you today? Good, good morning, how are you? Good, very well. Good, so take us back, if you can, to the day you found out that you tested positive. How did it come about? I went with my partner at the time to get tested because everyone was getting tested. And we got a positive results, both of us. And what year was that, do you remember? 1982 or three? I think it was three, if I remember. Yeah. 83. Long time ago. Long time ago. So your life, after, after that, your life didn't really change much. I mean, you still went on to your normal day by day, correct? Yes, it didn't change. I totally ignored the positive results and carried on like I was a... Wild man. And if I recall correctly, you really never, since I've known you, you, were, you never showed you were depressed or, or uh, worried in a sense. You've always were the life of the party. So your life continued, life as normal. Yes, it Nothing did. It really changed. And until shortly after that, your daughter told you you're going to be a grandfather. Yes. What did that feel I, like? I, I left a Christmas party. And we were all drunk. I was driving my car. And when I got home, my daughter handed me a gift basket. And inside the bi- basket was a bib, a baby bib. And it said, you're going to be a grandfather. And I screamed, holy hell. Because? I'm too young to be a grandfather. How dare you have a grandchild? I'm too young. And then what happened? And then I planned a, <laughs> I planned her baby shower. <laughs> I remember. It's a great party. And now her granddaughter is how old? I think 23. 23. Amazing. 23. So life continued on as normal and epidemic HIV AIDS became bigger and bigger. In fact, you know, uh, your best friends, your roommate, your people around you, it became uh, a bigger problem than we all anticipated. Well, uh, I had several friends that died. I recall. We buried a lot of them. Right. And then when did you... When did and how did you find out you became full-blown? I went to Palm Springs, came home, and woke up in the hospital. And? Completely covered with KS. My body had KS all over it. And I looked in the mirror, not knowing why I was at the hospital and screamed and called the doctor and said, what is this? He says, 
you have full-blown AIDS. But you were functioning normal till that I was point. drinking, carrying on, doing drugs, drunken all the time. And also working full-time. Yes. So what happened next? Well, I couldn't work anymore. And... Um, Did you uh, decide to retire or did you, how did you handle the... Well, there's you... no talk of me uh, retiring. Uh -huh. um, I just took a furlough from work. Really, I didn't realize how serious it was because I ignored the whole problem the whole time. Right. And... Um, so we had gay pride parade. We had the Southwest Leasing. We had the gay pride parade. Southwest Leasing is a company you used to work for. Yes. Or you did work for. And so I had the parade. And I was supposed to go back to work. And I went back to work when, after the parade. And uh, went into my office. Sat down on my first day after six, seven months. And my secretary brought contracts for me to read over and sign. And when I looked at the contract, I could not read. I did not comprehend the words on the, on the, on the contract. Right. And it, then I got totally scared. And I went out of my office, ran upstairs, told the secretary, that I was leaving. I wouldn't be back. You and I leaving, went home. Leaving to go and, off for the day. No, I left and never went back to my office. You just said to her, I'm leaving and I'm done. And that was your I was idea. crying. Okay. I was crying. Okay. Because you, you knew. I mean, I guess when the doctor told you about the KS, didn't really sink in as much as when you could not read the contract? Not being able to read the contract is what did it was what woke me up to the fact that something had damaged my body so terribly right. that I couldn't even work. And then what happened? Well, I went into total. I I totally got sick. So that was the beginning of your of not going back to work. Basically, work came to a stop. Yes, and I um, went on Social Security disability, right? Which I've been on ever since till this day, and um, I became a professional patient. And if I recall, after that, you had faced mortality as far as I remember, at least a couple of times, maybe even longer. In fact, there was one time where your mom and other close friends called the priest because they thought this was it. Am I correct? They called uh, a reverend, um, um, reverend in Fallbrook to right. uh, preach my funeral. Yet, you're still here. I'm still here. So, <laughs> so all the, 
like I said, I think it was twice, if it could be longer. Um, for some reason, you are not willing to give up the fight. I never gave up the fight. But you know, I had help. There was a reason I didn't have fear and never believed I would die from this is because I had a praying mom. Apostolic Pentecostal mama praying every day. And therefore, with her at my side, I did not fear this disease as far as in my mortality. I never believed a minute of my life that I was going to die. Speaking of, I'm glad you remind me. So speaking of, prior to all of this, prior to 83, prior to me meeting you, you grew up in um, singing in a church. Not growing up, but some part of your life prior to that, you were involved in singing in the church. Is that correct? Well, I was raised in the apostolic faith, right. Pentecostal faith. And I began singing in church when I was six. And then when I turned 18, I moved to Bakersfield, California, and began going to the church in Bakersfield. And then he came to LA. And then I became a choir director. And then I left the church. And then he came to LA and moving forward, here we are. So yes. when you, I guess now you're completely retired and at some point you decided to move to Palm Springs for good. California. Yes. What was that like? What was the lifestyle of retirement in Palm Springs like? Did you play golf all day or? Uh, I slept all day and partied all night. And when did that start? What year was that? <laughs> when I got here. I, I, do you know what year that was? In 1990, at the close of 1998. So from 1998, you, you really had a, um, another lifestyle that you created in Palm Springs. Um, and again, um, you were mortal because you continue on going until very recently. Yes, I, I was on a downhill spiral. <laughs> And then I got sick of it. I got sick of it. Uh, what did you get sick of? A smoking, waking up, going to, taking pills to go to sleep on. Waking up every day and saying, I'm not going to do any cocaine. But get up. And first thing I did was hit, do a bump of cocaine. And I had done that for years. Every morning I'd say, I'm not doing it. And the first thing I did when they went to the bathroom was to do cocaine. So I was high all the time. So what was the breaking point that made you say to, say to yourself, I don't well, want to do this? What anymore. happened was I had a dear friend who was a dog. And her name was Kimba. And she broke her ALC. And she went through surgery. And she had to be lay on her bed for four months and be carried outside to go to the bathroom. But I was too drunk. My foot was deformed and she did not trust me to take her outside. 
So right. I would have to call my friend to take her outside to go to the bathroom. And um, so then when she got better and started walking, her second leg went out. And I knew that I couldn't go through another surgery. And I got down one day and just wept and cried and pleaded with God to help me go through the second surgery with my dog. And I promised God that I would give up cocaine if he would help me. And I got down and prayed. And he took the, and God took the desire out of my heart for the drug. And I have never done an, just a minute. I've never done cocaine again since that day. But something else happened. So your dog got well or did she? Your dog yes. Did get well. okay. I was sober and I was able to care for my dog on the second surgery. And she was able to walk after that. But also there was the situation, the instant where you were helping a friend uh, during this episode, during this time of your life, uh, take care of his home and you had met a roofer and something happened. Oh, there was a storm in, in Palm Springs. And my friend was in a television show and he's on location. And he called me one morning and said, Michael, I want you to go check out my house. It's raining really hard, and I feel like something is wrong. So I went over to his house, and sure enough, in his bedroom, his bedroom was flooded. Right. And I called him, and I said, your bedroom's flooded. And he said, I'm in makeup. I'm going on the set. Call someone and fix it. So to be, said, and to be clear, at that time, you were very much intoxicated. I was probably hungover. Okay, so you were between hungover and the next intoxication stage. I probably partied all night. Okay. And Michael called me and I just went to his house. Okay. In the morning. All right. And um, I said, Michael, I can't. I can't, I don't know how to call somebody. I don't know anything about roofing. He said, Michael, get it done. So I went to the kitchen and pulled out the phone book. And believe this story, or don't believe it, but this is exactly what happened. I opened the phone book to roofers, spun my hand in the air and went down on a name and the name was Gilbert's Roofing. Okay. And I called that number, and that roofer said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And he was. He pulled in the driveway, and he was playing gospel music that I used to sing. It was blasting in his truck, and I knew the sound of that music because I remembered it from my days directing choir. So he got out of his truck, testified to me at, of all the things that God had done for him. Without, Deliver you, asking, him, without, you, huh? asking, without you asking him anything. No, he just started, started testifying, not knowing me. Right. And it first meeting me. But that's the way Brother Gilbert is. Okay. 
And so he went up the ladder and I followed him. And he was telling me about how God had delivered him from gangs 25 years ago. And he was a total meth head. He was a drug dealer. He was a gun runner. And God touched his life and filled him with the Holy Ghost. And how he was about to lose his wife. And they became, they both got into the church. And now he was serving God. And so I walked across the roof towards the area that was leaking. And I said to him, I know all about the UPC, which means United Pentecostal Church. Right. And I said, I'm a backslider. 36 years I've been away from God. And he put down the roofing torch and turned around to me and he said, Michael, you of all people know how this ends. You know the Lord is coming and that you should find an altar and repent and get right with God before he comes back because you know how the story ends. And you really, you guys really, that was pretty much what happened that day. And then the story kind of ends there. And then you did something else after that. So that kind of, that day, things, I guess he goes his way. Well, I walked off the roof and went home. You went home. And then you still hung over or the next stage. I don't know. My life is totally a hungover. Right. Right. So now. Now I wasn't doing drugs. Right. Cocaine or pot, but I was drinking heavily. I would have four shots of vodka to walk my dog. And I'd have four shots of vodka to go shopping. And then you decided after that to do what? Well, God was dealing with me. And one day the doorbell rang. Now, before that, I was a drug dealer. So I would not open, I wouldn't answer the door if someone knocked. Right. They had to call me and make an appointment. So I was not doing drugs anymore. And I told everyone in the world that don't come to my house. The store is closed. And all my friends left. They never called me again after that. And the doorbell rang. And For some reason, I got up and went to the door and opened it, and some uh, people were there handing out tracts, religious tracts, and as I thanked them, I closed the door, but the door sounded like a big safe in a bank. The bank, the safe door closing, it rattles, and you hear the gears winding right. to lock the door. Right. And then you hear it finally lock, and it closes. Right. And it's over. And I immediately went down on my knees, because this is very real to me, that I never had something like that happen to me. Right. Um, I never experienced something like that. And then what did you do? 
I went down on my knees screaming out to God because I thought the rapture had taken place and I was left and there was no hope for me. And I started crying out to God, please God, don't leave me this way. Please forgive me, please, 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 please. And a few minutes later, the phone rang and a friend of mine from LA who had been witnessing to me and who I told, do not leave messages on my phone. Do not leave songs on my phone. You're using up my answer machine time. So she said, this woman who's a great friend of mine since childhood said, but Michael, why won't you go to church with me? I said, I will not go to church with you because God will fill me with the Holy Ghost. And I hung up the phone. So you're still resisting, but at some point, when did you finally give in and say, okay, I'm doing this? And then, like, a few months before that, I told her not to call me anymore. Right. But then she called during this episode, this spiritual awakening that I had. Right. And she said, would you like me to pick you up on Sunday and go to, down to see Brother um, Beverson? And we'll go to his church in Fallbrook. And I said, you come right now. Something's going on in my house. And God is talking to me. And I need you to come now. So from that point on, that was your cue. And that's when you did one step forward and you did not go one step backward. That's right. 36 years. I was lived a totally reprobate, blinded life. Did not want to hear about church, did not want to hear about God. And then on that day that that safe door closed in my living room, that was your and Dawn calling me, I went down on Sunday with her to Fallbrook. I repented of my sins, and one week later, I went to Gilbert's church, and God refilled me with the Holy Ghost. And what year was that? That was 2012. So 2012, and it's now 2020. Yes. So you've been on this new journey since 2012. Yes. Even recently. Nine years in July of 21. Even recently, I think in June, um, you had tested positive for COVID-19. And I said to myself, here we go. Here we go again. And you went in the, the emergency room or, or the uh, ICU, I forget. And 10 days later, you came out. Yes, I did. Uh, which, you know, pre-existing conditions and um, immune systems uh, that uh, are not very strong. It, it's not a good situation. But now we are in November 2020, and here you are. Here I am. Here uh, by are. the grace of God. Here you are. <laughs> so what did this entire episode from, from 1983 
till 2020 teach you? That God loves me more than anything in this whole world. And his grace is sufficient for all my needs. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if I stay talking with him and he talks with me, I will have peace. I will have contentment. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Michael Glover, thank you so much for sharing uh, this long journey uh, with ups and downs. Um, to the listeners, I hope this was inspiring. Uh, I do appreciate you listening. Please join me again next week for a new episode. Uh, this is Sam West with Signature West Podcast. Till next time, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again, Michael. You're welcome.